sure what it is. This graphic on Facebook this week, and I thought, man, that's so appropriate and true. You guys remember, who remembers the Jetsons? You guys remember that show? Probably the majority of us, hopefully. Yeah. Well, they were comparing about all these things that seemed super futuristic in the Jetsons and how normal they actually are. Okay, so we don't, we don't live in these houses that like jump up 100 feet above the clouds. But um, it's amazing on how, if you remember, um, I don't remember the, the mom's name. What's her name? Judy Jetson. Do you remember how she used to exercise? Uh, videos that came into her household, right? And do you remember how, uh, how George would work? How, what would, he'd get like these, these video conference calls from his boss at work. You guys remember some of that? This last year, how you've been like, oh my goodness, we've been living in the Jetsons. Um, I'm always amazed at the technology that we have at our fingertips. My kids love this app called Marco Polo. Has anyone heard of it? Who, how many use it? Does anyone use it? I refuse to even put it on my phone, actually. Uh, uh, my oldest loves to send messages and get messages from her friends at school throughout the week. Uh, their friendship is strong enough that she gets excited and joyful and giddy when she sees that there's a message from her. It's like everything we can do to not have her steal Jennifer's phone. It's crazy. Um, uh, you know, I wonder what your reaction is. When you hear from someone you deeply care for, uh, usually it, it's excitement and love, right? How do you send a message to someone that you deeply care for? Well, usually it's with care oozing out of the message, right? And that's exactly what we see this morning. Paul has written this letter to these Christians whom he deeply loves, and we see his care really oozing off the page. It's almost a little bit embarrassing. Uh, is our love for other Christians like that? And what does our love for other Christians show us about our understanding of one another? Well, that's what we want to look at this morning in the book of Philippians. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to the book in the New Testament, that short letter uh, in Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, that is okay. Inside your bulletin, there are sermon notes, and inside the sermon notes are actually, uh, is actually the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. So you are, uh, this is going to be helpful for you, uh, that way you're not like, what is he talking about? Where, I don't get where he's saying it. It's going to be all right here. Um, and so uh, Paul uh, wrote this letter to this organized group of Christians who have been supporting his gospel ministry, and he deeply loves them. And Paul's in jail right now. And they send this guy named Epaphras, or sorry, Epaphroditus, to Paul to care for him. And then Paul sends him back to the Philippians with this letter. Uh, and that's what we are beginning today. Uh, and, and as we got a glimpse of last week, we do have a verse of the series that, that we are gonna, it's going to help us in our study and understanding of the book of Philippians. It's on the screen. Let's actually say it together. This is Philippians 1, 6. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will be faithful, to, oh, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's what happens when I go off of my notes and I think I have it memorized. Uh, I need to work on it a little bit more. Let's pray for our time in God's word. Lord, we ask that we would indeed see Paul's love for this group of Christians, but, but only really as a, 
as a conduit and as a pipeline of your love for them. And Lord, we pray that we then in turn would have such a great love for fellow Christians as well, and, and that, Lord, that you would shape us uh, by your word this morning. Would your spirit be at work in our hearts and minds? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here is, here's the big idea. We're going to be going through Philippians 1, verses 1 through 8 this morning, and, and this is what we want you to walk away with. This is the big idea that if you get nothing else, th this is the roadmap to write down on. Our mutual commonality in Christ, okay, so, so because we are in Christ, our mutual commonality in Christ should fuel our gospel work. It should fuel our prayers. It should fuel our confidence and our affections. So our, co our mutual commonality in Christ should fuel our gospel work, our prayers, our confidence, and our affections. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to look kind of at this passage in three different ways. Uh, these gr the greeting that Paul has, this gospel partnership that he sees and talks about, and his confidence and affection for them. Let me read our passage this morning. This is the beginning of the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Well, let's look at this uh, greetings and grace that, that Paul begins his letter with. Uh, you know, reading the Bible is a little like going fishing. Uh, not so much like you're hoping to, to catch a bass and you end up with an old shoe. Not so much like that but more that, that different fish have different requirements to catch it, okay? So deep sea fishing requires different tools and different knowledge than fly fishing does. And the Bible contains these, these different types of waters to find God. And so we're in an area of the Bible in the New Testament called epistles, uh, which are letters written by specific people to other specific people. And part of the tools that are needed uh, in, in this part of the Bible is, is something called authorial intent, meaning that the author who's writing the letter to these recipients, that they, that they intended certain meanings of their words. So, for example, one would not be able to say, I think Paul is talking about ice cream trucks. Uh, and another person would, would not be able to say, well, I think Paul's talking about volcanoes. Because Paul, who, who's a real person, has specific intended meaning in his words. 
And so our job, since the Bible has authority over our lives, is to know what Paul has said to better understand our lives as Christians. And we, we see that very reality in, in the opening verses of the book of Philippians. Paul identifies himself as the author. Uh, with Paul is this guy named Timothy. And Paul is writing to real people, uh, Christians living in Philippi. And, and Paul then gives his title of who he is. Uh, but, it, but if you've read very much of the New Testament, uh, Paul doesn't give his usual title of, of apostle. He gives himself the title uh, of doulos, or translated as servant or slave. And that's pretty significant, since Paul is writing to an important Roman colony like Philippi. Uh, because slaves there, well, they didn't have any significant status. And yet Paul is setting up a prime example of how being a servant to others is actually a picture of Jesus himself. In fact, the very beginning of Paul's letter describes uh, really what, what the letter is all about. Three times in verses 1 and 2, uh, Paul references Jesus in his greeting, right? Paul and Timothy are servants of Christ Jesus. Uh, the saints at Philippi are living in Christ Jesus. A and Paul offers grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from the very beginning, Paul is presenting really the central theme of the entire letter. No, no matter what other else other themes are there, and there are other important themes, uh, they're all surrounding the central theme, which is Jesus himself, who is directing Paul, who is present with the Philippians, and is the source of grace and peace. And so Paul how Paul identifies his original recipients is even insightful for us too. He calls them saints. Uh, not because somehow they are perfect, uh, not because they are dead people uh, or have somehow performed a miracle, but because a miracle was performed on them. They were enemies of God, dead in their sin, but made alive through Jesus Christ. They're saints because they're Christians. Paul isn't writing to random people, but we also see that Paul is writing to this organized group. Uh, since there are included both overseers and elders and deacons. So Paul's not only writing to the elders. He's not only writing to the deacons. He's writing to everyone in the church. And I think that's instructive for us. Uh, to see that even in the early church, there were both overseers and there were deacons. Uh, and not only overseers and no deacons. And, and also not only deacons and, and no overseers. But then he also even gives characteristics uh, uh, of, of each. Not, not here, but, but Paul's letter to, to Timothy, where he mentions those things again. So Paul greets them with the warmest of greetings, with grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus. A, a fairly standard greeting of Paul when he writes these letters to, to different people. Uh, Paul's affection and love for them isn't just simply calling them saints. Uh, and it's not simply praying grace and peace upon them from God. No, Paul's affection for them goes way deeper than that. 
grace and peace only come from God because their relationship is because of God's work. So Paul's writing to this organized group of Christians. He's sharing his love of them, founded in Christ, and displayed in his prayers and affections. And so what we need to see is that our, our mutual commonality in Christ should fuel our gospel work. It should fuel our prayers and fuel our confidence and fuel even our affections. Well, let's look at verses 3 through 8, this gospel partnership that Paul talks about. So Paul greets them warmly, and he continues to show his love for them kind of in three different ways. Okay, so Paul prays regularly for them in verse 3. Paul is confident about their future, and he believes true and good things about them in, in verse 6. And then we see this, this thing in verse 8 where Paul has this great affection for them. Uh, but for us to understand what Paul says to them, it's important to know why he says what he says and why he does those things. So, so the foundation of Paul's prayers, the foundation of his beliefs and his affections for these Christians who are organized at Philippi is actually all because of verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. Paul's affection for the believers is displayed in his prayers and his confidence of them and his love, but it's founded on the grace of God. So Paul says in verse 7, For you are all partakers with me of grace. Paul means that they're not just simply well-wishers of Paul. No, they are fellow recipients of grace with Paul. You know, parents who have caught a teenager at a party where there was drinking, they often ask the teen, were you an observer or a partaker of alcohol that night? <laughs> Did others drink around them or did they participate with others? Well, see, Paul is saying the Christians at Philippi were fellow partakers of grace, fellow receivers of God's grace with him. They received the same mercy and the same grace and the same forgiveness that Paul received. And so like Paul, they were, had gone from enemies of God heard the gospel of Jesus, and turned from the rebellion against God, put their trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in the tomb, and became partakers of God's grace with Paul, not just observers, but fellow partakers, fellow participants. And so do you notice how Paul describes some of that grace in verse 7? Paul describes the type of grace that the Philippians received in Paul's imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. But what an odd thing to say, isn't it? Have you ever considered that God uses hardships of yours and others to make a great name for himself? There's something, about, there's something really good about how Paul's imprisonment is being a grace benefit for the believers at Philippi. And so when we, when we hear about believers who are standing firm in the faith in the midst of tragedy, well, I think God uses that to build confidence of God's mercy for others. 
So when I hear about our brothers and sisters in Canada who are being jailed last month because they simply met for church, and how I see them remain committed to cross Christ even in that opposition, well, it reminds me of the precious benefit that I have of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. It makes me want to be bold for the gospel too. Since I see others who are willing to give up their livelihoods for Christ. Uh, that's actually one really good reason to read Christian biographies. Uh, we read about their boldness in the faith and we turn uh, and want to faithfully follow Christ in those ways too. Uh, that's actually why, that's literally the very reason why we wanted to give away two copies of, of J.C. Ryle's Five English Reformers. It's an incredible biography of, of these five guys who were either burned to death or, or in other ways killed because they were Christians. There are some incredible quotes in there. There's some incredible stories. Let me tell you, that was the first biography that I ever read that brought me to tears over their faithfulness in Christ. In fact, actually, there's one story in there of this guy who is about to be tied up and, and burned at the stake to death if he doesn't recant his, his Christian beliefs. And, and uh, they're, they're, they're giving everyone that same threat. And one of these guys recants. He signs a document that says, I no longer believe what I said I did heartbreaking, right? And they said, well, okay, well, we're going to burn you anyway, just to be an example of you. And so he is tied up. The, the wood is on fire. He's on fire. And he holds up his hand that he signed the document with. And he holds it over the fire until his hand is nothing but a burned stump. As a way of saying Anything that I suffer for the name of Christ is nothing compared to what he's done for me. I tell you, it's incredible. And so when we read and hear about other Christians who are bold in their faith, even despite opposition, well, it makes me want to live boldly for Christ as well. It makes me want to turn and faithfully follow Christ in ways that, that might be hard. Notice the, the Philippians are also partakers of grace in defending the gospel and confirming the gospel, right? People can, can talk a big game, but it doesn't make something true just because it's said, right? One of the biggest defenses of the gospel is seeing the transformed lives of Christians. Fire gives evidence of smoke, and grace gives evidence in our lives. And an evidenceless faith is a faith that still needs to embrace Jesus. But a defense and confirmation of the gospel are, are transformed lives to be like Christ. So the Christians at Philippi did not live in a bubble, but had opposition to Christianity, both in its inception at Philippi. You remember reading how Paul and Silas are sharing the gospel? And, 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 and these guys who had that, that, that slave girl who, who was this fortune teller, he cast the demon out of her, and they're like, forget that, you took away all our money, you're going to jail, right? And, and so um, even at its inception at Philippi, 
and as believers are, are, are growing to make more disi- disciples, we saw Christianity being opposed even from the very beginning there. That's why later Paul writes to them, calling for them to stand firm and to watch out for those who distort the gospel. And so Paul prayed regularly for the Philippians. He was confident in the outcome of their lives. And he was deeply lo- and he deeply loved them because they were partakers of grace with him. You know, it, it makes us pause and, and reflect. Why, why do we love people? And, and is the greatest foundation uh, for people who you love, th- does that match Paul's foundation for why he loved the Philippians? Is the grace of God the biggest reason, the biggest foundation of our love towards one another? You know, Paul displayed his love for others not because they were fellow Roman citizens, not because they had the same interest in the extracurricular activities, but because they had received the same grace. Our love for our fellow brothers and sisters here at Friendship Baptist Church should be because we are partakers of the same grace of God. Not because we're in the same stage of life, not because we live on the same street, or even just have had some history together. No, Christian. In, in verse 7, Paul says he holds them in his heart because they are partakers of grace with him. And so when the gospel is the foundation of our affection towards one another? Well, here are just a few of the things that will begin to happen. Unity will be a priority because we share the same Savior. Mission-like mindedness. We will agree on the urgent need of sending out the gospel. Other people's lives will be important, not private so that we can be praying for each other about specific things. You will have a sweet affection of joy towards each other. We will trust God with our future together. We will partner in the gospel for the spread of the gospel together. And we will even want to sacrifice for the benefit of others. That's what happens when the gospel is the foundation of our affection towards one another. In fact, you'll even see what God is making other individuals into, not only see the sin that he's removing from them. So Christian, does that describe the type of love you have towards other believers here at Friendship? because they are fellow partakers of grace with Paul. We see Paul prayed for them in verse 3. Notice how Paul prayed for them. Always, in verse 4, with joy, in verse 4. You know, I wonder if there are people here at this church that you would say you always pray for them and with joy. Christian, do you... Do you pray for other believers outside of, of when they are sick? Do you ever just pray that another Christian would just love Jesus well that day? 
Do you use even the church directory primarily for addresses and phone numbers or for those who you want to be committed to and are praying for regularly? See, often people don't feel as if they know what to pray for the church and one another. And the best answer is always, it's people. We see that Paul isn't just a a good prayer of people. Uh, There's this additional sense of his care and his affection and his prayers for the Philippians. Right? In in verse 5, we see they are partakers in the gospel with Paul. Or they are also partners in the gospel with Paul. They didn't just take a a one-time love offering and then send Paul on his way, say, good job, Paul, and pat him on his back and say, go and get him, buddy. No, they, they did that and more. From the first day until Paul's writing that letter, they were partnering with Paul in gospel work together for the good news of Jesus to make its way into the lives of others. That's incredible. So, so joining with others in partnership for the gospel says, I don't just like you right now. I'm committed to you in the good times and the bad. And believe me, Paul saw some bad times. They're sending him support while he's in jail. Okay? If there was ever a time to jump ship on Paul, it probably would have been one of these times, right? And yet, what does he say? You guys have been partakers with me, partners with me in the gospel from the very first time until now. So gospel partnership says, I don't just like you right now. I'm committed to you in the good times and the bad. Paul was in jail. It's possible he was going to die in jail. But the Philippians were committed to him in the good and in the bad and in the ugly. So being a gospel partner says, what can we do together to both deliberately and intentionally so that it is better than what we can do casually or by ourselves. So so partnering the gospel has a us-together mentality and greater um, uh, result type of awareness. Partnership in the gospel also means that Paul is accountable to them and they to him for how Christ is portrayed in their lives. And so what we see is that gospel partnership means that the gospel goes forth as a collective witness of God's goodness in our lives together. With that sort of commitment, you can see why Paul is so deeply thankful for the Philippians, can't you? Well, friends, being a gospel partner is not just something that Paul and the Philippians got to share together. Actually, here at Friendship Baptist Church, we have gospel partnership too, which says, I don't just want to observe gospel community. I don't just want to consume gospel community, but I'm committed to the gospel and to this community and will contribute to furthering the gospel in our work together. And so friends, when we see that Paul is partnering in the gospel uh, with the Philippians, for the gospel to go forward. Well, friends, what what encouragement for us to all become gospel partners together. Even before the Apostle Paul, the the Christian life wasn't lived in isolation or independence, but in community, 
and in partnership together. So maybe you're already a member or, or what we call gospel partnership here. Uh, friends, make sure that you are one not only in name, but in actually contributing to the work of the gospel together. Don't just hear about Awana. Come serve in Awana with us. Or, or if Sunday nights are bad, pray for Awana regularly. Don't just hear about youth group. Come serve in youth group. Or if Wednesday nights are bad, pray for the youth group students regularly. Don't just hear about the college ministry. Come serve the college students with us. Or at least pray for your college students regularly. Or offer to disciple one of the college students that we see coming in week in and week out. Friends, don't just hear about life groups. Join a life group. We have five different ones happening right now. And we live the Christian life together, supporting one another in the gospel. See, gospel partners are stronger when we all serve together and join in gospel work together also. And so our mutual commonality in Christ should fuel our gospel work. It should fuel our prayers. It should fuel our confidence and our affections. Let's look at this gospel confidence and affections in, in verses 3 through 8 of our passage. See, we see that Paul didn't just pray for the Christians at Philippi. He was confident of the gospel at work in their lives. That's what we see in, in, in verse 6. It says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, Paul believed true and good things about the work of the gospel in their lives. Paul believed that God who began the gospel work in their lives, that he wouldn't just leave it undone, that he would complete his work in their lives fully and finally when Jesus would return for his people. And so what Paul says here is monumental for our Christian lives too. Notice how Paul identifies that it is not the Philippians who are just trying harder to be good. No, the work of the gospel didn't even start with the Philippians. It started with God who began the work in their lives. Which means that Christianity is not just a do good and try harder religion. It's one that begins with God, working in our lives, and the promise that there is not a single part of God's work that he will leave undone. Have you guys ever heard horror stories of a construction company hired to, to renovate a house? Right, maybe they take 50% of payment up front and they say they want to take the other 50% when the job is complete. But months after they were supposed to do this, the kitchen's demolished, the living room is in shambles, and there's no more bathroom, and the construction company stops coming over, they stop returning the phone calls, and six months go by and you're in a destroyed house because they left the work undone, uncompleted, unfinished. Friends, God's not like that. He is not like that construction company. There's no job that God begins that is left unfinished. There's no Christian whom God will just forget about. There's no work of God in someone's life 
that will be ultimately and finally taken from God or lost by God. Paul is only affirming what Jesus said in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. For my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Paul says even later in in Romans chapter 8 that with God on our side at work in our lives, who could possibly succeed against us? And the answer that Paul says is that no one succeeds against God. Notice when that work is finished, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 6. It's completed at the day of Jesus Christ. Which means, Christian, God's work in you is not yet done today. It's not done two years from now. Even the idea of Christians who no longer sin in this life is about as real as Bigfoot. Now I know I'm saying that here in this area. People claim he's there, but they're just pulling wool over your eyes about Bigfoot. And that means, Christians, that our sights are on Jesus' return. The Christian life doesn't end at conversion. Sanctification ends when our faith becomes sight. And so Christian trust in Jesus as your Savior is the beginning of your walk with God. It's not the end of the journey. Because friends, a God who can save you, but not a God who can keep you, is no God at all. For God to save us, he must also keep us and complete his work. Not leave it unfinished. God's saving work is also a completing work. And so we can have complete confidence in God. The result, Christian, is that we can find rest. We can rest in Jesus for our salvation because it didn't begin with us, it doesn't end with us, and God doesn't desert you in between. Salvation began with God. It was accomplished by Christ on the cross and in the tomb where he died in our place for our rebellion, and he promises that all who put their trust in him, that we will not be put to shame, but that we will be made complete when he returns for his people. Friends, do you believe such bold and true statements about your own Christian life? No matter what your Christian life looks like right now, no matter what sin you feel like is plaguing you right this moment, it's not greater than God's promises. It's not more powerful than the work of Christ. Christian, do you believe such bold and true statements about our fellow Christians here at Friendship? Would you readily and regularly affirm to others that what God has begun, that he will be faithful to complete in them? Is that regularly on our tongue affirming one another? See, loving others includes believing the best about them and having confidence in God's promises to complete every work that he has begun. So before you leave today, please tell 
another believer that what God has begun in them by saving them, he will complete in them by bringing them to, to glory at the return of Christ. And so Paul, Paul finally also has this great affection for the believers. Uh, look at verse 8. Paul says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Right? This isn't just uh, the affection. It's not, it's not some human affection. It's not conjured up because Paul is somehow a people person. No, the affection is a love flowing from Paul as Jesus' love flows to Paul. Love for fellow believers is not because of worldly similarities, but because we are co-heirs with Christ and receive Christ's love. Christian love breaks the world's mold of what is normal. So for example, instead of high schoolers only wanting to be around other high schoolers, because you know those junior high, middle schooler kids are so annoying. No, no, as Christians, they want to disciple and train kids in the middle school to love and follow Jesus. College students who don't just look for where other college students go, Instead, as Christians, they look for people who will pour into their lives uh, where the gospel is lived out and where then they can pour into others. 20-somethings don't just look for other 20-somethings. But as Christians, they have affection from Christ towards other saints who might even be retired, who might have four kids, who are in different stages of life. Because the common foundation is that they are fellow partakers of grace. Christian love and Christian affection from Christ is when, as a Browns fan, you can serve alongside a Steelers fan with joy. Christian love flowing from Christ, founded on fellow partaking of grace, is when a Christian Republican and a Christian Democrat serve for the gospel in reaching their neighborhoods together. Paul doesn't simply yearn for affection for those who are wired like him or the same age as him or like the same foods for them. Look back at verse 8 again. He says he yearns for them all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Which means, Christian, you are to love those who you might even disagree with on issues that are not gospel issues. So before you post the terrible people who don't want to wear a mask, or before you post online about pe terrible people who wear masks, remember we have both in our congregation, and we should use Paul's model of affection towards our fellow partakers of grace with us. So when we are thinking that those who get the vaccination are crazy and those who don't get the vaccination are unloving, we need to remember that we have both in our congregation and are called to love one another with the affection of Christ Jesus, which means that he went to the cross for both the maskers and the non-maskers, for both the vaxxers and the non-vaxxers. 
So Christian, what does your love of others reveal? Worldly affections or gospel of grace affections? what, What if I don't love the church or the other saints in the Lord? What if I think that they are a hindrance to following God and not a gift that God has given us? Well, friends, we need to remember that Paul saw the Philippians as a gift from God to proclaim the gospel so that they could continue to spread the gospel together. We should let our brothers and sisters be seen, not just in our hearts and our eyes and our minds, but with all of who we are. We should see one another as gifts of God for each other. The Christian life isn't a me and Jesus alone. It is us together, sacrificing for each other's good. So Christian, regularly give thanks for how God is at work both in you and in other fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord because they are gifts, not hindrances. Our mutual commonality in Christ should fuel our gospel work together. It should fuel our prayers for one another, our confidence of what God is going to do in each other's lives. And it should fuel our affection for one another. Does our love reflect God's grace being the greatest foundation? Or do we simply just love just like how the world does when it's convenient? Friends, let us love like Paul and like Jesus. Something we do from time to time is is because we don't want to assume that we should just hear a message and then walk out the doors without it affecting our lives. And because we think every single person is called to respond to God's word, we want to do that right now, actually. Uh, Right where you're at, we want to, uh, every single one of us, we want to spend just a little bit of time in saying, God, what does your word mean for my life this week? How do I need to change my thinking? How should my life be adjusted so that it matches what we see in your word? So let's do that right now. Let's spend even just 30 seconds individually responding to God, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Oh, Lord, forgive me where my affections are not matching um, what Paul's is for the Philippians, for those who I have joined in covenant with, partnered in the gospel with. Lord, help us to see each other exactly with the same confidence that Paul has for the Philippians that, God, you will never abandon your people. You won't uh, leave the work that you've begun unfinished. 
God, help us to see uh, each other not as, as, as where we see flaws in one another or, or where we see uh, the evidence of, of sin and where we still need to grow. God, would you help us to have the same perspective of Paul and the confidence that, God, you will not leave any one of your people uncompleted. So God, help us to have eyes fixed on the day of Jesus Christ and his return. Help us to have eyes where we uh, see what you are doing in people's lives. Lord, help us to see your work and your, your work of grace and sanctification in the lives of our fellow believers more than we see areas that they still need to grow. And God, may we pray for one another with joy all the time that we would continue to grow in the grace of God, that our love would abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment so that we would be able to approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless at the day of Jesus. God, would you, would you help us to have such affection for one another that it doesn't make sense to the world, that it seems bizarre, but it makes perfect sense to us because we are fellow partakers in the grace of God. God, thank you for such confidence we have in you. Thank you for your mercy. God, continue to work in us that you've begun Lord, bring us to the day of completion, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. That there is nothing that will pluck us from his hand. So friends, hear our benediction this morning from Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May that be true of all of us this day. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's Day.